The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 98. O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have gained Him the victory. The Lord has made known His salvation. His righteousness He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His mercy and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Amen. this day that you have set aside for us to Sabbath rest in you and to be together as your people gathered as the church united to worship you, to lift up the name of our Savior and to cry out to you that you are the living God, the one who created the heavens and the earth and who has chosen the path of our lives. Lord, we pray today that you would be glorified in everything that is done and said here in this service of worship. And we pray, O Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, your people, that we would see and hear and believe the truth of the gospel. And may we not leave here without our hearts being touched by your spirit to remind us that you are with us and that you care for us. And Lord, we join our hearts together and our mouths together now as we pray together the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, We're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to turn there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the holiness, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, beginning in verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. 
Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. As we continue in worship, turn in your hymnal to number 45 and we will sing now unto Jehovah, the sons of the mighty. come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all here today. Uh, We are finishing today with the Apostles' Creed. Does anybody remember the last phrase that we said today just a few moments ago? We said that we believe in the life everlasting. The life everlasting. Uh, Who knows what happens to you when you die? God. God happens to you when you die? (laughs) Anybody else? What happens to you when you die? Danny. You go to heaven. You go to heaven. Now, is that true for everybody? Everybody in the world? No? No? Okay. So when Jesus said that He promised that if we believed in Him, that we would have life, that we would have everlasting life, but if not everybody who believes in Him goes to heaven, then where do those other people go? They go to hell. Is that a real place or is that just a a way that the church tries to make people afraid of living badly? It's a real place. It's a real place. The Bible says it's a real place and people really do live there. People do stay there for all eternity. So if the demons and people that don't love God live forever, what do you suppose Jesus was saying when He said that whoever believes in Me will not perish but have everlasting life? What does that mean? That Christians don't die? No, it can't mean that. It doesn't mean that. It means that the life 
that He promises to give will be full of joy forever. That you will never know as a believer, as a child of God, if you are a son or a daughter of the living God, you'll never know what it's like to be apart from Him. And life in heaven will be full of joy that we can't even describe. Things that you can't even imagine seeing. But most of all, guess who you will see in heaven? Jesus. Jesus. It says that we will see Him as He is. That right now we see through a glass dimly. Do you remember Mr. Standfast in Pilgrim's Progress? Mr. Standfast was the man who said, Right now I see in hearsay and live by faith, but then I will see fully. It means that you will see and behold the glory of the Lord Jesus, and you will be in His presence, and you will never be away from Him. You will enjoy heaven. There will be, there will be work and worship and delight and communication that's free from error, and you will be in His presence with His people and worship what this day represents will be what you enjoy with your Savior forever. And there will no longer be fear of death or fear of sickness. There will be no sorrow. There will only be rejoicing. Always. Can you imagine that kind of place? That's what Jesus promises for us. So as we confess every Sunday, I believe in the life everlasting. You believe and hope in the life that Jesus promises And that everything else is a disappointment except for what He offers to His children in the Gospel. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank You for these covenant children that You have given to us. And I thank You, Lord, for the life that You promise in Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that You would help them, these covenant children, to know what it means to trust in You fully. To entrust their hearts to You and their lives to You. And Lord, I pray that they wouldn't just live in fear of not wanting to go to hell, but give them true delight and rejoicing to know that they will spend eternity with their Savior forever. Lord, I pray that you would guard their hearts and minds, that they would learn to discern as they grow up to know the truth, and that as your word says that the truth would set them free, free from the love of things that would draw their hearts away from you, and free from error, not knowing your word. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for blessing our families and our church with them today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading out loud Psalm 97. So please turn in your hymnal to page 820. Psalm 97 on page 820. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. His lightnings lights up the, the world. The earth sees and trembles. The heavens proclaim His righteousness, and all the peoples see His glory. Zion hears and rejoices. And the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, O Lord. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. Light is shed upon the righteous, and joy on the upright in heart. Let's stand together and turn in your hymnal to number 520 as we sing Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness.
This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to uh, mention to you, I received an email this week uh, from a representative at Covenant College, and they said, uh, please pray for our students as they're on fall break, as they take some time away from studies, and perhaps are doing things with family as they travel. And so I wanted to take a moment to pray for them, but also to pray for our own students and our own uh, teachers and those who are in schools, and to pray that the Lord would be gracious in the midst of uh, a difficult time as students and teachers in the the world that we live and just the day-to-day troubles that come along with uh, trying to work hard and trying to do your best to serve the Lord um, in the midst of the society that we live in now. And I also wanted to take the the chance to pray for our families, uh, those who are homeschooling, who uh, don't get to send children away for fall break, uh, that the Lord would sustain them as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to come before the throne of grace, that you tell us to come boldly. Lord, we, we say to you, and we thank you as the living God, that we put our hope in you. And yet we say at the same time, Lord, that there are many things that cause us deep anxieties and fears. Things that we see in front of us that, if we are honest, we confess that they seem more real than you do at times. Lord, we cry out to you and pray that you would give us faith. We pray that you would work the truth of the gospel, of your word into our souls, that that would be what we rely on, your presence and your promises. And we pray that you would be with us in the midst of our difficulties. Lord, I do raise up to you college students and professors, those particularly at Covenant College, who have asked for prayer, that we would pray for them, that as they go away for fall break, that it would be a good time of restoration and a brief time of enjoyment with family or other activities. Lord, I do also lift up to you our own college students, those in our midst who are off studying or who maybe are able to be with us today. Lord, I pray that you would give them special grace as they study. Help them, Lord, to work hard and to do their best. And we pray, Lord, that you would protect their minds that as they may hear and undoubtedly do hear things that challenge the truth of your word and your very existence, we pray, Lord, that you would put a hedge of protection around their minds, that the, the false things that they hear wouldn't go to their soul. Lord, we do also pray for our own students here who are in high school or, or middle school or elementary school, Lord, that you would protect them, protect their minds. And Lord, we pray most of all in the midst of their learning that all of this would point them to you, that as they see and have an appreciation for education, that they would see and have an appreciation that you have made all the things that they see, and every idea that they have is not something new, but something that you have given to them by your hand. Lord, I pray for school teachers in our midst, whether homeschooling moms or public school teachers or private school teachers, that you would put your hedge of protection around them and keep them safe as they as they strive to, to train children to know and to learn, and sometimes just have to work hard to maintain order in a classroom. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon them and give them grace and patience. And Lord, I pray for safety in our schools, that everyone would have a sense of feeling safe uh, because you are there taking care of them. Lord, I pray that it could just be business as usual to do classwork and not have other worries to think about. Lord, I thank you that you hear us when we pray to you. And we do raise up to you those in our midst, in our church family, and those that we are related to that are going through particular health struggles now. Lord, we cry out to you for mercy and for grace and for strength and just to be able to to hold on and to trust you in the midst of trials. Lord, we pray that, that you would pour out your spirit on us, that we would believe that you have not left us and that you are the one who is the great physician. And that all of the ailments that we have, that you do hold them and you hold us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 23. Psalm 23, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 3 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God abides forever. Today we continue our series, The Good Shepherd, studying Psalm 23. And we're going to look at the end of verse 3 and spend all of our time there. The sermon is entitled, Paths of Righteousness. In this psalm, David uses pastoral imagery of a sheep and his shepherd to portray the relationship that God's people have with their God. God is the shepherd king, the Lord, David calls him. And the people are his sheep, those whom he loves and takes care of. And God provides so richly for his people that David says with all sincerity in verse 1, I shall not want... He says, there is nothing that I need that the Lord will not give me. And everything that I have is not a mistake. None of the things that He has kept from me are things that I actually need. In verse 3, at the first part of this verse last Sunday, we explored the nature of God's work as a good shepherd in His people, drawing them to Himself in repentance and restoring those who wander away. As the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And as we looked at God's work 
as the Good Shepherd in our hearts last week, we do so again today at the end of verse 3. And as we look at this verse again, we pray in our hearts, and I pray that you pray in your hearts the words of Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your laws. I pray for you today, dear church family, that those are words that you hear with a heart of faith. And may God do this work in us and for us, for His glory and our ultimate delight in Him, the One who takes care of us and who leads us in the paths of righteousness for His sake. So number one, I want to ask this morning, what is righteousness according to the Bible? What is it? Is it a standard or is it something that's relative and only specific to each individual? That only I can say what is righteousness for me and you have to answer that question on your own as well. Number two, how is righteousness a path? And lastly, anticipating the truly righteous one. So number one, what is righteousness? Well, a few things that it's not. Righteousness is not this idea that we are all just basically good. This thought in our culture today throws away and obliterates the doctrine of original sin. That there isn't something in each of us that turns our hearts inward and absolutely throws our fists towards the heavens saying, God, you have no right over my life. Your word has no place of authority. Leave me alone. Righteousness is also not, well, I do my best, I treat people pretty well, and I try to do good deeds. That's nothing more than a works-based righteousness that simply lowers the bar, that says to God's standard, it's too high, but surely you'll grade on a curve. So if I do my best and try really hard and I am sincere, then certainly God will love me. He will accept me into heaven. And if I do good things for other people, if I work hard, He'll accept those things. But that's a works-based righteousness that has no place in the kingdom of God. And as we think about answering these questions, it's not just my opinion. It is the Word of God that says in Psalm 14, verses 2 through 3, The Lord looked down from heaven to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And He says they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. So it is a myth to say that we do good works apart from Him. None who does good. None who seek after God. None who wants to please Him and be rightly related to Him. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says this about our good works. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. The things that we may try to do apart from God's grace to hopefully earn a hearing from Him. Lord, would You hear my prayer? Lord, would You let me into heaven? If it's based on this, then the prophet Isaiah says it is filthy rags. So what is righteousness? Well, number one, it's grounded in the supreme holiness, goodness, faithfulness, and covenant love of our God Himself. In God's character and in all of His actions, He is the preeminence in integrity, justice, and equity. He does not lack anything. He is perfectly righteous. So He is the standard. It's abundantly clear in the Scriptures that the source of all righteousness is the God who is righteous in Himself, whose laws that He gives us are righteous, who does and works righteousness on behalf of His people as an expression of His covenant faithfulness to us and the love that He has poured out through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who will also come and judge the world by that that standard of righteousness. And there's something in our hearts that says, who are you to judge me? And God's Word says, I am the living God. And there will be a day, and I am coming to judge. And all men and women, boys and girls, will give an account before me. And His Word says, no human being has righteousness by their nature. This is the area, this is the preserve of the Lord God alone. So number three, what is righteousness? No human being can produce it on their own. As we've seen from the book of Isaiah, we don't have the resources to do it. 
If we did good works and they truly were good, we would be lifted up and exalted in our own hearts with pride. And when we fail at doing things, when we try our best and they still don't measure up, what is it that happens in our heart as we attempt to do good things? It crushes our spirit. I can't do it. This isn't good. I tried my best but still didn't get the result. We know from Scripture the only way to understand how God could say to us, as we confessed this morning, as we read in Psalm 97, did you catch what you were called as God's people? He calls you the righteous. How is it possible that we could be called the righteous when we see the sinfulness in our own hearts? We have to answer the only way that this could happen. And God doesn't make mistakes. Is that He would do it. God would act for us. He does it for us. And yet there is a part in our hearts, just as the children of Israel, that the prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 6, verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see it. Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. The children of Israel said, We don't want to follow your ways. We aren't going to be obedient. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, speaking of God's covenant love and His pursuit of His people. It says, Thus says the Lord, I am going to renovate your hearts. You do not love Me, but I am going to do a new work. And I do not do it for your sake, O house of Israel, but for My holy name's sake. The simple answer is this. What is righteousness in the Bible? The true standard of God? It is this. It's doing what is right in the sight of God. And this sounds like a simple definition, but it's very complex. To be righteous is to do everything that God calls us to do. The demands of true righteousness are so great and so many that none of us in the world ever achieves it perfectly. It involves following the whole counsel of God. So that's number one. What is righteousness? It's important that we be on the right footing, that we define our terms, and that we also have our minds transformed. As we read this morning in the Assurance of Pardon, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. If we are to think about life and the Bible and our relationship with God in the right way, we certainly have to have our minds transformed. We will not think God's thoughts after Him without being transformed by His Word. So how is righteousness a path? What does David mean? How is it a path for God's people? A path in the Bible is a biblical metaphor for life. For the road of life, including the bumps and the turns, the trials and the detours. But it's also a way of life. Our conduct, the way that we actually do life, the way we make decisions, how we spend our time, spend our money, where we choose to invest ourselves and our treasures. The Bible teaches that above all of these things, our life, the roadway of it, but also the conduct of it, that God is sovereign over the path of our feet. And His Word, His precious Word that He has given to us, instructs us because He cares about how we live. What's the first question? The answer to the first question in the Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? That should answer the question for us. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You were built for a relationship with Him. Your life is to be a pathway of walking with your God. Serving Him and loving His people. He cares about how you live. In Acts chapter 17 verses 26 and 28, it says, He has made from one blood every nation of every family on the earth. And He has set their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of the places they would live. Do you believe that your address was determined by the living God? And that the boundaries of your family, where you live and where you go, even the places that you might visit, they are all appointed by the living God. None of it happened by chance. He goes on to say, For in Him, in God, we live and move and have our being. So then, for believers... For people who belong to the living God, who have covenanted with Him, our identity is that we are disciples of His. We are sons and daughters of the living God. The lifestyle that we live 
should be a lifestyle of worship. We should be making decisions according to His values, according to His Word. That that should be the standard we go to first. Not, what do I think about it? Well, let me think through this and weigh out the choices. No, I should be looking at His Word. The first thing that should mold my mind is, what does God's Word say about it? And then if there is a a sense in which my heart shakes against what His Word says, then what should my response be? Close the book and walk away? It should be... Lord, help me. I'm not thinking about life the right way, apparently, because your word says this, and yet my my experience or my feelings or my heart tells me this. Help me to be able to lay that down, that I would obey the truth, that I wouldn't break my own life over your laws. He's made life to be a certain way for his people. I want to ask you this morning, dear believer, dear Christian, how are you doing here? And this isn't a works-based question. But it is, how is your Christian obedience? How are you doing walking in the ways of the Lord? Are the paths of your feet walking in righteousness? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 26 says, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways establish. The proverb goes on to say, Do not turn to the right or to the left. One translation of this verse, the beginning where it says ponder, is make level. Not only should you consider the path of your feet, but you should with your effort and by God's grace do everything you can to make the pathway level that you would walk with the Lord. That you would walk in His ways and be obedient to Him. For us all, there should be some rejoicing in our lives to see God is at work. He's at work in my heart. He is changing me. He is transforming me into the image of Christ. I have a desire to be with Him and His people. I rejoice to go to worship. I delight being in His presence as I read His Word, as I pray. And the communion of the saints is sweet to me because of His Spirit in me. I rejoice in His work in my life. But there are probably also other areas as we think about this question. How is my Christian obedience to the Lord? There probably are areas that He shows you that need to change. Things that... For some of us, maybe we do need to add things to life as you think about honoring Him and walking in the paths of righteousness that He has laid out for His children to walk. There might be things that you need to add to life. Maybe you do need to take more seriously spending time individually and as a family in God's Word. Maybe you do need to work on your discipline of praying. Maybe there are other things that the Lord would show you that do need to be added But maybe for others, there might be some who need to see things in life and say, I think this is going to have to go. If I'm going to be devoted to the Lord Jesus the way that His Word says, not the way that I feel, but if I'm to be devoted in my family, in my home, in what I do with my life, these years that He has given me, then certain things are going to have to go. And so we cry out to the Lord, give us wisdom. Give me a heart of wisdom and knowledge that I would know and discern. This needs to be added or this needs to be taken away. And Lord, give me hope in you as you make those changes, as you chisel away things and as you add things. They feel unfamiliar. They feel awkward. But help me to walk in your ways. So how is it a path? I want to give you two things about this. By faith, we walk this path of righteousness. It is the way that we are supposed to live. All believers. This isn't just ministers. This isn't just officers in the church. This is every believer. We're to be walking this path of righteousness as David proclaimed. Being led by his faithful good shepherd. His heavenly father. Who is holding him in his grip. And we walk this path even despite the changes in the terrain. Even despite the changes in terrain. They are supposed to be immaterial to us. As we walk with Him. Sometimes the pathway is full of rejoicing. Full of rejoicing. Seeing God's hand at work. Delighting in His blessings. And this should train our hearts to humility. If the Lord is the one who is rejoicing over us with singing. If as we walk in the path of obedience we see His blessings. We have a sense of His presence. And we see the beauty of holiness in our families. And in one another, we should be rejoicing. 
And it should cause us to be humble and say with David, Who am I that you would think of me this way? But there are also some times when it's lonely to follow Jesus, to walk this path. It's costly. It costs us relationships and maybe job opportunities. It costs us money sometimes. Maybe not immediately, but down the line we see that following Jesus does not always equate to the economics in this world that we live in. And sometimes walking this path of righteousness is full of sorrow. And these things can lead us to fear and to doubts. And almost immediately, one of the things that happens in our our fallen hearts is to fall away from the living God. It's, I'm just fearful of walking with you. I don't know that I can believe that you're with me on this path. It should feel differently than it does right now. And I'm, I'm scared. I'm afraid. The Bible says it's important to count the cost of following Jesus. And He promises that there are means of grace that He gives to His people to assure them not only of His presence, but of His promises. And one of those blessings is the communion of the saints. And I know that this means you have to let people into your life. But are there people in your life as a believer who have the the privilege and the right to be able to come to you when you are broken down in life, when your faith is very frail and seems to be blown over by the wind and the waves? Is there someone in your life who can say, take courage? Don't give up. Walk with the Lord. Believe that it's true. Cry out to Him. If you still have your Bible with you, turn to Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to start at verse 12. The writer of Hebrews relates this kind of exhortation and this kind of fear to unbelief. He says... Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren. He's talking to brothers and sisters in the Lord. He's talking to the church. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And then he tells us, it's our responsibility as one another's in the church, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Do not allow the doubts and the fears and the worries and what you see in front of you that seems to be more vivid and more life itself than the faith that you have in the living God Do not allow that to cause you to turn away from Him in unbelief. And He says beware, not because He wants to scare people to stay in the kingdom, but to remind them that unbelief is real. But the living God is real. Hear His voice. Do not harden your hearts. Walking this path is not easy. Sometimes this path is a crisis. And you have crises in your life. And for some of you, you are having multiples of them at once. You seem to be getting hit every time you turn in life for you and your family. It is nothing but a crisis. And those are are times and seasons. But for many of us, maybe for most of us in here this morning, walking along with Jesus on the path of righteousness can be compared to just slogging along in the ordinary and mundane obediences of everyday life with normal troubles. Cars break down. People don't show up for their shift. Life is just difficult. There's a little less money this month than you thought there would be. Or whatever it is, just normal everyday troubles. Dale Ralph Davis calls that just slogging along in the paths of righteousness. And you need daily grace to do both. You need daily grace from the Lord Jesus in His presence, in His Word, by His Spirit, to be able to make it through a crisis or multiple of them. And you need daily grace to be sustained in the ordinary. Delroth Davis says, Jesus is the shepherd who is adequate for your every day. The Christian must learn to walk with Christ here in the daily round. Have you learned to enjoy 
Christ's day-to-day competence? Do you believe that your Savior is competent for everything that you face? Are you walking with Him? Or must you let His hand go along the path and turn to the right or to the left? Sorry, Jesus, I need to take care of this one on my own. Could you turn your head for a minute? I'll be back once I get this settled. Do you believe that He holds you, that He knew that was coming along the path before you did? And do you believe that He intends to walk you through that dark night so that you will trust His grip even more? Jesus doesn't bring us through trials so that we will be crushed. He brings us through them so that we would trust Him and not look to our own resources. I told you righteousness in the Bible is according to God's strength and God's provision. We don't have it in our resources to do all that He requires. And His ways and His thoughts are different than ours. Psalm 68 verse 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. In the New King King James it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. I know you might be saying, well that sounds nice and David can say that, but look at my life. Trust the Lord, dear saints. Trust that He is with you, that He's caring for you. One of the things that easily grips our hearts as frail people is that we think about the decisions we've made in life or the roads that we've walked and we come to our minds and say, that's it. I know why things happened this way. It's because I took a wrong turn 25 years ago and He's been making me pay for it ever since. Does the Good Shepherd do that with His people? I heard one no. He doesn't do that with His people. I want to share just a a brief couple lines with you from a, a book I've been reading on Psalm 23 by uh, David Calhoun, uh, a dear saint who has gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, It's a book entitled, A Sheep Remembers. He says, I went to Columbia Bible College where there was one major, the Bible. I learned a lot about the Bible and not all that much about anything else. I sometimes regretted not going to the University of South Carolina and studying history or literature. But I know now that Columbia Bible College was the right path. It was the right path for me. Do you believe that, dear saint? That the paths you have walked are the right paths for you. That the path you're walking today, though you may not understand, you may not see light in front of your feet, that it is the path that the Lord Jesus has you on. That you are here at Lebanon because He grips you by His grace. That your family is walking through what they are today because He's leading you on that path. It's not because the enemy has His grip on you. Jesus promises to hold His children. And how do we know that? How do we know that in the Bible? Do you look at life and say, well, it really is the sum of what I've done. If if you were really to sit down and talk, you can just see that it was how I did these things and how my skills and my competence and my abilities and my family have been able to take care of everything. Spurgeon said about Psalm 23, about these verses, Look at the past, dear believer, and see how He's guided you. How very little you and I have to do with it after all. We have struggled, we have fretted, we have repined over life. We have fumed against the workings of His providences. But after all, I do not know that we have had much more to do with it than the sheep in the stream has had to do with the way in which it has floated to the other side. There is far more of the hand of God in our life than there is of our own hand. If our life is what it ought to be, we can truly say that we have been divinely led up until now. And although the journey has been like that of children of Israel through the wilderness, in and out, backwards and forwards, progressing and then retrograding, and often seemingly standing still, yet the Lord has led us by the right way up to this present moment. We know that to be true. In our heart of hearts, when we are most walking with the Lord, believing by faith, holding on to the promises, we know that to be true. 
And we know that to be true because we are anticipating the truly righteous one who will come and set everything right in this world. Righteousness is not something that you try to do on your own like a New Year's resolution. New Year, new me. Righteousness is not if I go and I can buy another set of clothes and I'll look different, I'll feel different, and somehow magically I'll become different. But we believe these lies, don't we? Righteousness is something that Jesus does. He transforms us into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, He made Him who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You walk those paths because He did it for you. And you know that He will hold you in the path that you are in, whether it is stormy or whether it is peaceful. You know that He is the one who holds you because your good shepherd leads you in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, for Your promises in it, for the glory in it. And Lord, though we may not understand and the path may not be very well lit at times in this life, we pray that You would hold us by Your faith as Your Word promises that You will. Lord, we pray that You would help us in the midst of darkness to trust and even in the light not to look to ourselves and and say, look what I did. Lord, I pray for our young people that You would hold them on the path. I pray for parents who would just have hope and trust in You today, Lord, that their young people will walk with You, not because they did everything right, but because You hold our covenant children by Your hand. And just as we have walked with You in our lives through our own sinfulness, We trust and believe that you will hold them in your hands. We cry out to you for faith to believe that. And we pray, Lord, for protection for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your hymnal and let's stand together and sing hymn number 598. Guide me all, thou great Jehovah.
you, Callie. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time in our service to return back to you our tithes and offerings, things that teach our hearts to trust in you. Lord, I pray that our giving today was by faith, and as we dedicate these tithes and offerings to you, we pray, Lord, that you would use them for the sake of your kingdom, and that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of his salvation, that all the ends of the earth know, according to your word, Lord, we pray that his name would be lifted up, and that people who do not know you will be brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Lord, we pray for the spread of the gospel, and we pray that you would do it even through our obedience in this now, in Jesus' name, amen. Please come see me if you are interested in or contacted me about going through the new members class. I have some materials to put in your hand. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.